Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Psalm 119, 33 through 40, these are the words of God. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your ordinances are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Today, I want to um, turn our attention to the idea of, or the topic, of petitionary prayer. Although there are other forms of prayer within the scriptures, today we're going to focus solely on prayers of request to God. Okay, so prayers of request or petitionary prayers. Along the way, we're going to look at several elements that are related to these prayers, including their, uh, the faith that is required or what is the object in certain uh, prayers, uh, what is the object of our faith, as well as looking at the form of these particular prayers. And I want to prime the pump a little bit before we jump in uh, with respect to form of petitionary prayers. The scripture seems to communicate two different forms of petitions to God. The first are those which look more like Jesus's prayer in Gethsemane, the not my will but thy will sort of prayers. Uh, and the second are those prayers whose objects are already guaranteed in some sense by God. They're, they're guaranteed. And these prayers uh, are contingent solely upon the faith of an individual. And of course, this creates a lot of tension, I know, inside of the church, but this is where uh, faith comes in. In other words, these are things, the second form of prayer, are things that uh, God has already approved of, and all we have to do is ask him. He's waiting for us. He has called us to ask, called us to call out to him. You can find examples of this in James 1, 5 through 8, Matthew 21, verses 20 and 21. Uh, first, or John 14, 12, and 15, and then 1 John 5, 15. Uh, if you guys are uh, not able to, to write down all of those things, the, all of these scripture references will be there for you this week in the blog, so you can study along with me and, and engage with me throughout the week. But these two patterns uh, of prayer present a unique a challenge for the church, and we're going to expose those challenges, we're going to explore those challenges a little bit today, and then we're going to continue it next week. But I want to get started uh, by going over a brief survey of verses 33 through 40, and these passages, of course, will be up on the screen, uh, and you can just walk through them with me, but uh, this is kind of our verse-by-verse -verse section for the day, okay? Within the eight verses of Psalm 119, uh, within these eight verses, David petitions God for an assortment of things. He's been asking God. This is what we're talking about, right? He asks God to teach him, to give him, to make him, to incline him, to turn him, to establish him, and to revive him. All of these pieces in uh, eight simple verses. And what's really powerful to me is that he knows that God is 
responsible for all of these things. So he runs to his father in these times of need. In verse 33, David wanted God to teach him the way of his statutes. But don't miss what David actually said. David did not say, teach me your statutes. Instead, David asked God to teach him the way of those statutes. And there is a significant difference. David was looking for the very way of life that these statutes might bring or or might produce in him. Uh, His son Solomon sought to discover the exact same way in Ecclesiastes when he talked about life's conclusion or life's purpose. Many of you will know this passage. Ecclesiastes 12 uh, and 13 says, This is life's all, to fear the Lord and keep his commandment. This was was Solomon's pursuit of this whole uh, idea. In verse 34, David asked God for uh, for understanding. Right? It appears as though this level of understanding, though, when we look at the text, was to propel David past mere observation of the law, so just obedience for obedience sake, into keeping God's statutes for uh, or from his whole heart. I think we all want that, right? We, we all want that. These two verses clearly are connected in that learning God's way um, learning God's way or obeying God's statutes that requires understanding. And understanding is what's going to move the heart of men and women. Understanding is what's going to move our heart. Uh, We want to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But in order to do this, like David, we're going to need to understand his word. This is one more reason why uh, God has given to the church teachers and preachers and pastors and those things. Because we do need to understand. We do need to grow in our understanding. As we do, it's going to create not just obedience, but it's going to create a loving obedience. An obedience from here. And that's different. Uh, in verse 35, we see a petition for training. This is one of those God-ordained uh, or God-ordaining David's steps kind of prayers. Uh, I've taught on the related proverb to this many times, man makes his plans, but God ordains his steps. And there's two things that I always want you to remember when it comes to that particular proverb. The first is this, man making his plans does not mean that God is somehow hostage to our individual whims. Okay? This is really important. God is not hostage to our whims. The plans that we make according to Scripture are always subject to the approval of God. See Proverbs 3.6, see Proverbs 16.3, the list goes on and on. It's always subject to the approval of God. Second, as far as training goes, a more accurate rendering of this verse could read, uh, man makes his plans, but God teaches him how to walk. God teaches him how to walk, because after all, aren't we the children of God? We are his children, and he teaches us to walk. Similar language to Psalm 119.35 is found in Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19 says this. It'll be on the screen. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet, and makes me walk on my high places. The idea of making someone walk here is not to be seen as some uh, sort of divine puppet master leading us across the stage of life. It's not puppetry at all. It's actually enablement or empowerment, and we'll see this as we go. With the right understanding of that phrase, that he makes us to something, the only question that remains is, well, how does God make us to walk? How does he empower us? 
And that answer is pretty simple. Not surprising, the answer is the exact same as it was for David. We are enabled to walk as we grow in our understanding or by growing in our understanding. That's what we need. We need to grow up. <laughs> we need to grow in more understanding. Proverbs 4.7 is amazing. We all know the proverb that says the, beginning of fear is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom, right? But here's another one that is really fun. It says, how do you, how do you gain wisdom? By gaining wisdom. <laughs> You're like, what? What does that mean? What's the beginning of wisdom? Search for wisdom. Okay, well, that sounds pretty simple. Well, it is a little more complicated, obviously, than that. But this is how we grow. This is how we learn. This is how we're made to walk after God. We've all seen parents that lead their children, uh, especially when you have little kids, lead their children around the room and the child's hands are lifted heavenward. You know, mom and dad got their hands, right? That is a great image of what's going on with us inside of our life. It really is a great image. God is leading us. He is walking us. He is caring for us in a most amazing way. And we, ha- we can actually see this. There's an image of this in the scripture in Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. Check this out. It says, that, again, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. This is repeated everywhere in the text of Scripture. The steps of man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his ways. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong. Hallelujah. Uh, uh, Because, (laughs) because, look at it, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Isn't that cool? The idea for us is that our steps are established by the Lord. He delights, we delight in his ways, but all the while we're walking, we have a hold of the Father's hand. And that is what prevents us from this kind of headlong uh, problem, uh, headlong falling that many people experience. Now, moving on to Psalm 119.36, we come across a two-fold request. David wanted his heart inclined towards God's testimonies, uh, but he wanted his heart inclined away from uh, dishonest gain. What does that mean? Well, the petition that David is asking God for is actually a petition for contentment. If you want to study contentment more, I encourage you to check out Hebrews 13, 5, and 6 this week. It's a really amazing uh, study for you. But uh, for right now, I want to zoom in on a passage in, or I want to... Uh, give you an overview of Ezekiel 33, verses 30 through 33. We see in Ezekiel 33 that um, dishonest or unjust gain was actually the MO of hypocrites. This is what hypocrites do. They, they want unjust gain. They're not a content people. These are a people who, who say they follow God, but they're actually choosing the way of sin. They knew what was right, And they chose what was wrong. They were uh, not content in God's statutes. And some of us are struggling with this in the church today because what we do is we come across a passage of Scripture and it goes against the culture. It goes against our, uh, our own feelings or our own opinions. And when it does, we're like, whoa, 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 this is really hard. So we know what's right and we choose opposite. But this is dangerous. This is dangerous because what this is labeled according to the scripture is hypocrisy, right? This is hiding behind the mask of faith, hiding behind the mask of supposed faith. This is nominal Christianity for today. Well, I want to have the name Christian. I just don't want to look anything like my Christ. That's not an option according to the scripture. 
This is the same issue that Jesus had with the Pharisees in Matthew 23. It's also the issue that Jesus' brother James had with Christians in James chapter 4, verse 3. So we've got to be careful with these things. So back to David's initial request. He wanted his heart inclined toward God and away from dishonest gain. Make no mistake, church. He sought contentment in God. That's what David's looking for, and we should be looking for that too. This brings us to verse 37. Both the New King James and the ESV help us in their translation. David David needed his eyes turned from what he called worthless things. Worthless things. Uh, Other translations use the word vanity, and though uh, the word is accurate, It just gives us the wrong idea, at least in our day and age. We just don't use vanity to mean worthless things generally. We mean something else with vanity, pride or something like that. Let me give you an example of what vanity and worthless things, how they work together and what David is communicating. In uh, in the Ten Commandments, the second of the Ten Commandments is to not take the name of God in vain. Okay, Don't take the name of God in vain. Um, And most people just kind of put that into the category or into the camp of don't say GD or don't say OMG or or, uh, don't say Jesus Christ, as if you guys didn't know that's not his surname, right? (laughs) Uh, but, But don't say those things. And that becomes don't take the name of God in vain. That's included. That's included. What are you doing by throwing his name around flippantly? You are treating it as a worthless thing, aren't you? That's, that is not good, no question, okay? Um, make no mistake, though, it is a bigger issue than just saying those things. The Pharisees were not in Jesus' good graces, right? They were not in good, in good graces with Jesus, and they were very formal about not saying the name of God. They wouldn't even say what we say when we say Yahweh, they just didn't put any vowels to it. They, they wouldn't say it. When they wrote their, uh, their scrolls out, they would put G, dash, D. They would not say God out of reverence. The problem is they treated his name as a worthless thing, and many in the church today do too. Here is what the fuller meaning of uh, treating God's name as a worthless thing. It means claiming the name of Jesus and not allowing it to change your life. You have treated his name as a worthless thing. You're walking around going, hey, I'm a Christian. I should have these things, these benefits. I want to go to heaven when I die. All of these different things, you're doing that. But you don't look like you're Christ. This is what is so repulsive to God. The Israelite people claimed his name and walked in hypocrisy. And Christians today do it all the time, or I should say, Christians today do it all the time. So this is what it means by taking something in vain or treating something as worthless. We've got to be extremely careful with that because God's name is our glory. God's name is the family to whom we belong. That's powerful to me. Now the antidote to pursuing worthless things, you ready for this? To pursue good things. (laughs) The antidote to pursuing worthless things is to pursue God. It's to pursue what is good and lovely and pure. The scripture tells us that we need to keep our minds on things such as these. As we learned last week, this is the path to true revival. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. Sell all your possessions. 
buy that field that contains the pearl of great price. This is simply another image of giving up everything for the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's so worth it, you will do anything. It's so worth it, you'll give up everything. But if you're going to keep one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God, what you've effectively said is his kingdom is worthless. You have, you have treated it uh, with vanity. So David's petition was to turn away from worthless things, and we should try that too. We should be praying that constantly, to turn away from all of these vile and worthless things of this world. Verse 38, David wants God to establish his promises to him. The result? Reverence to God. I love this. Uh, the established, unshakable, fulfilled promises will always, church, will always produce reverence for God. This is what makes people worship. This is also what we should be filling our songs with. Do you know that it doesn't, it doesn't produce a lot of reverence in our hearts for God to sing a line like, I will worship, I will worship, I will worship, I will worship, over and over and over it actually makes everybody around you go on, will you get on with it already? Okay? But if we will sing of the glory and the majesty, great is thy faithfulness, O God. When we talk about those majestic truths, what happens is reverence becomes wrought in our heart and we worship as a result. Moving to verse 39, we see David's cry for God to take away his reproach. There are two things that I... I definitely want you to see here. First, David admitted his dread or his fear concerning reproach. And I think we can all say that it's a dreadful thing to face condemnation. <laughs> none, of us, uh, none of us readily accept that. But it is reassuring to me that someone like David, um, someone of David's caliber, expressed the same fears that I have. I don't look forward to that, but I know that I can endure it because David understood something that we now understood, we now understand through the blood of Jesus, and that is that in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation, and it doesn't matter who's throwing it. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The second thing that I think you should see is that the King James and the New King James provide us, again, translation-wise, with a more accurate picture of the reproach that David faced. The wording in the second half of the verse reads this way, for your judgments are good. Every other translation talks about his law, his statutes, his commands, something like this. But it is the word for judgments, and his judgments are good. So the answer to David's disgrace is the good judgments of God, which then leads us to this conclusion. We can confidently say that David's reproach was a reproach from men, not a reproach from God. God wasn't smacking David upside the head. That's just not what's happening in this passage. Instead, David is seeking after the counsel of God's word instead of the opinions of men. I shared this a couple of weeks ago. It's, we have a great counselor in God and in his word. And through his Holy Spirit, we need to trust what that says about us over and against what people say. Finally, in verse 40, David petitions God to revive him. And I, I dealt with this thoroughly last week when I, when I taught about true and biblical revival. So I want, you to, I want you to engage with that this week if you haven't heard that message. Okay, so at the outset, I, I shared that uh, we're going to give our attention to petitionary prayer. And as you can see, David asked a whole lot in these eight verses. 
Uh, I also pointed out that there were two basic patterns or forms to this prayer. Those conditional upon God's approval and those discretionary, discretionary prayers of faith. That doesn't mean that those aren't God's will. It simply means God has said, they are yours, ask. They are yours, ask, and you will receive. Just so that you know that that is a reality inside of the church, that there are things God wants but that we don't have them because we don't ask. The scripture says, you have not because you ask not. I mean, it's just like, there you go. (laughs) And so there are things that God wants for us that we don't possess because we simply do not ask. So where do David's prayers land in all of this? Maybe a more pressing question for you, where do your prayers land? in these two patterns of prayer. Uh, Another question, where is our faith located in these particular prayers? Uh, And then, what are all the challenges that we have to face or wrestle with when we start comparing these two forms of petitionary prayers? C.S. Lewis, in an address to the Oxford Clerical Society, presented his observation of these two patterns, and he called them, now get this, C.S. Lewis is one of the most brilliant minds that that we have ever known, Uh, but here's what he called the two patterns. The A pattern and the B pattern. That's a smart guy right there. Okay, so the A pattern, I can follow this guy now. I'm good, okay? The A pattern and the B pattern, he defined them as follows. The A pattern is a prayer conditional upon the approval of God. That's where my language came from before. This is, again, what we find in Jesus' Gethsemane prayer. Abba, Father, these are Jesus' words, okay? Son of the living God. When he came to earth, 100% God, 100% man. Now, consider that for a while in your head, okay? Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And here's the line of King Jesus. Yet not what I will, God. (laughs) Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, that presents a massive challenge for us in our understanding. But he still prays a thing. I want this cup to pass from me. I don't want to drink of your wrath. But thy will be done. You see that, right? This prayer was still very much a prayer of faith. Jesus prayed by trusting in his heavenly Father. It was a prayer of faith. However, the object of Jesus' faith was his Father and his Father's will. But what was not the object of Jesus' faith was the personal request. It wasn't. Because it didn't happen. Right? It didn't happen. In 1 John 5.15, John, the apostle, says this. He says, if we know that he hears us, do you, think, do you think the father heard the son? Without question, right? Okay, We know if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. So now the question that gets presented, which is challenging, is this. Did Jesus pray this way in Gethsemane? The answer is it appears not. He wasn't praying this type of petitionary prayer. He wasn't praying this kind of request. Jesus' words seem to strongly imply that he did not believe that the cup would be removed from him. And reality proved the cup was not removed from him. So it seems that there is a form of prayer here that we petition God and we say, Hey, your will, Lord. You tell us. You give us the go-ahead or not. 
I would argue that Peter walking on the water was another example of this very kind of petition. Peter asked Jesus, he sees Jesus walking out on the water. Now, that's going to scare all of us half to death, right? But he sees Peter walking, he sees Jesus walking to him, and Peter asks Jesus to invite him into the water, onto the water, before he's going to step out. Guys, you guys know this story very well. Matthew 14, 28 and 29. We can almost hear Peter saying these words. If you invite me, he did pray those words. The next one, if it's your will, Lord, then I'll do it. Well, in Peter's case, it was God's will. And guess what he did? He said, come on, bub. Let's do this thing. That's the Nathan International Version, but still, right? So come on, man. And so he comes out, and he actually walks on water. Jesus is the second human in history. Every pastor in the world says that, right? So he goes out. What follows, though, and this is where everybody just conflates the story, just jams it all together and misses the point. What happens in Peter's sinking actually has nothing to do with answered or unanswered prayer, does it? No, the prayer was answered, and Peter did it. What follows has to do with Peter standing firm in King Jesus. (laughs) What follows is Peter enduring to the end. Uh, what, What follows is what we've been called to as well. To hold fast, to stand firm, to endure to the end, and we will be saved. What a powerful truth. While we're looking at this pattern, I just have to say something about this pattern of prayer. I think it would be great if this was the only form of petitionary prayer we had to pray. (laughs) Okay? And you'll understand in just a second why. I mean, if all of our prayers are just your will be done, then, well, life would be at least in some ways easy. Right? It would be. But it ain't that easy. Okay? I would love to be able to say, God, just, just do it. I mean, either God's going to do it or he's not, right? The problem is, one big challenge that I see, if this is the only form of petitionary prayer, is that it necessarily dissolves into apathy and laziness in our communion with God. Okay? If all that is ever going to happen is just what God has already willed to happen then why pray at all? And you can't get past the fact that God filled his word with, you should pray. Jesus himself taught us to pray. As a matter of fact, one of the elements of that prayer, not the full prayer, but one of the elements was this very type of petition. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many who view prayer this way uh, often claim Uh, that they have faith, this is where the, the, the root of faith lies in this, they claim that they have faith in the giver and not the gift, and that's great. There are times when our faith is solely in the giver and not in the gift, but we simply cannot can't ignore the large volume of scriptures that go to the contrary. So let's talk about the B pattern of prayer. The B pattern of prayer, C.S. Lewis called the B pattern of prayer this, he, he said that it is a prayer of faith in which the thing asked for is believed to be guaranteed. It's contingent only upon the faith of the individual. Uh, in other words, God already has provided, he's already approved of these things, and we just need to ask. I referenced James 1, 5 through 8 just a second ago. Let me read that to you. Uh, it'll be on the screen as well. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask who gives to all generously and without reproach. What is God's disposition towards giving wisdom? Generously and without reproach. What that translates to is God is going to give you wisdom if you ask for it, and he's not going to say, here you go, you little idiot. 
right? It's not with reproach. He wants to give you, he wants to give you his wisdom and his mercy. And it will be given to him, the scripture says. Okay, right there, highlighted in your Bibles. And it will be given to him. It's not subject to, well, just ask me again if it's my will. I'm, I pretty much forgot. I got a lot of kids. They distract me. That's not, that's not what God's saying, right? So instead, what he's saying is, this is my will. But, 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 he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. And I go on beyond what's on the screen. Driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. So you see, there's a, there's a gift here. It is at your disposal or your discretion. You are able to take it. You are able to call on God and ask for it. If you don't do it in faith, it won't be given. Is that fair? Is that unfair? I, I don't know. I know that God is not unfair. It's just a challenge for our minds, okay? These prayers have as their object not the giver. Maybe they rest in the truth that he is a promise maker and a promise keeper. Maybe they rest in the fact that he is, he is God and he doesn't lie. But these prayers rest in the gift rather than the giver. The passages that we have to wrestle with include Matthew 8, 13. Matthew 9.22, Matthew 9.28 and 29, Matthew 15.28, John 14.12-15, and 1 John 5.15. Finally, uh, we also have to wrestle with a really cool passage in Matthew 21, 21 and 22. I'm going to take you there, okay? This presents a genuine challenge. This galvanizes this challenge of these two types of prayers in our minds. Here's what Jesus himself said in Matthew 21. 21. Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree. Jesus had cursed the fig tree. Fig tree represented Israel. God said, I'm moving on, right? Okay, not fully, but he was going on to others because they had been unfaithful and not bearing fruit. But even if you say to this mountain, all of a sudden he's changed uh, uh, landmarks here. If you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. Now, just a Small note here, um, no one in human history has ever moved a mountain. So Jesus clearly didn't mean it, otherwise everybody in the world has really pitiful faith, okay? That's, that's not what he's saying here. But Jesus does mean something colossal by this idea, okay? Uh, I love, uh, C.S. Lewis writes on, um, on hyperbole, and he says, when somebody uses hyperbole, they might not mean that big truth, that, you, that thing literally, but they mean a big truth by what they're saying. So if somebody says he or she has a broken heart, C.S. Lewis says only a windbag means by that they're slightly depressed. What they mean by that is there is something really tragic wrong in their emotions and what's going on. They are hurt. It doesn't mean the heart is fractured inside of them. It just simply means that something big has happened. So the same thing happens with this mountain-moving business. But listen to this. Listen to this. And this is where it really gets dicey for us. All things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive what? Is that true? I mean, Jesus said it. So is that true? Does Jesus really mean whatever? 
Or is he asking, is he telling us something in code for something else? Well, this challenge was presented to C.S. Lewis, and it really was a head-turner for him. I think you'll understand why it's this way, because he has a masterful way of putting things. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about this. He says, dare we say that, we, that when God promises, you shall have whatever you ask, he secretly means, you shall have it if you ask for something I wish to give you. What should we think of an earthly father who promised to give his son whatever he chose for his birthday, and when the boy asked for a bicycle, the father gave him an arithmetic book? Of course, the arithmetic book may be better for the son than the bicycle, and a robust faith may manage to believe so. That is not where the difficulty, the sense of cruel mockery lies, Lewis goes on. The boy is tempted not to complain that the bicycle was denied, but that the promise of anything he chose was ever made. And so it is with us. We would wrestle with that, right? So as you can see, these two forms of prayer are vital uh, to our understanding. We need to know what we're talking about when we talk about petitioning God. We need to know what is absolute and guaranteed, what has been set for ages, and what God says, I want you to come to me. I want you to uh, ask me. This is a topic that we're going to spend a great deal of time on. We're going to, we're going to overflow into next week by, by doing something really unique, and that is we're going to go back through these eight verses, and we're going to ask the question, is this A or is this B? And we're going to give proofs for why they are either or throughout that time. You see, like many of you, I struggle with how to pray. Sometimes I fall into the camp of apathy. How many of you would say that you fall into a camp that says, well, God's going to do what God's going to do? Have you ever fallen? Eh, whatever. God's going to do what God's going to do. With this often comes that prayerful disclaimer. I know you all have it, right? Well, if it's your will, Lord. Well, if it's your will, Lord. I, I know it. I'm intimately acquainted with it, <laughs> okay? I, I know this form of prayer, which often leaves me wondering, what in the world's the point? What's the point? Why are we praying? Okay. At other times, I'm tempted to pray for things that I feel or want to be the universal promises of God. But sadly, all that is is me slapping my, my faith to get in line with my imagination. Okay. I'm trying to keep my faith in line with my imagination. And what happens is I jump on that old hamster wheel and I try to increase the level in my faithometer until I can get what I want. This is a worthless and unbiblical pursuit. It's just not what God says. Petitionary prayer is no simple activity, church. Apart from God retaining a discretionary power to grant or to refuse a certain petition or in certain circumstances, prayer would be absolutely too dangerous for any of us to wield. Next week, we're going to talk about the maturity component that so many forget about when they talk about uh, prayer. This idea of name it, claim it, and all this other stuff. One of the key issues that gets forgotten in this discussion is the discussion of maturity. You would not give your child license, four and five years old, to go turn on the stove and get it and say, hey, you're my child. My house is your house. Do what you want. You'd never do it. Maturity is required. Guess what? Same is true in prayer. Same is true in prayer. The reason why some people are not walking in certain things is because God is not letting you loose. Just like he's not letting me loose. 
I would literally be trying to shift mountains so that Ohio is not so flat. I would be, I would be doing all kinds. I'd send everybody to hell on Tuesday and regret it on Wednesday. I say it all the time. I'd be doing all kinds of dumb stuff. But God knows my maturity, and that is a key factor that we cannot ignore in this. But apart from God actually granting prayers by faith, the scriptures would be contra- contradictory because that's clearly in the scripture as well. In the end, there are certain things that we might pray for according to fixed rules, pattern B. But there are also others that require uh, more than general rules, pattern A, Lord, is this your will? Lord, I I want to do what you want me to do. I would love for this to happen in my life, but I don't know, Lord, and I need your help. So the questions I want you to ask this week as you're praying, and I'm just operating on an assumption that you do so. Um, As you pray this week, I want you to ask the question, which prayer is this? Am I praying an A or a B prayer? Okay? When you're praying. And you can go back to the lesson, you can go back to the sermon, you can find out what the definitions are. But uh, is this an A prayer or is this a B prayer? And does it fit my circumstances? And if I don't know, or if you don't know, I want to encourage you to search the scriptures this week. I want you to look and say, has God promised this sort of thing? Or has he not, and I just have a tradition that says so, or I have a bias that wants, or something along those lines. Pray and ask ask yourself, is this A or B? Ask yourself this question, how can I pray by faith in either situation? So if you know that it's a B prayer... And you know that this, this uh, particular prayer is a, uh, or an A prayer and it's a thy will be done kind of prayer. Then I want you to say, uh, Lord, I need you to increase my faith. I need you to, to train me in my faith in you. Because it's in God, not in the object. But if it's a B pattern prayer and it's something that God has given, say, Lord, help me, train me that you promised to give me wisdom. You promised to give us all wisdom if we would ask. And we would ask by faith. So here I am, Lord. Please give that to me. I want you to ask uh, a question in your A pattern and B pattern prayers, and that is, do you have unwavering faith? Do you have unwavering faith in the times where you need it in the giver and in the times where you need it in the gift? Do I have unwavering faith? Um, Ask yourself this question, be honest. Am I prepared in advance for refusal? (laughs) Have I just come to this going, he's going to say no? Is is that the case? I want you to ask yourself that question. I want you to ask yourself the question, should we pray uh, in in this situation if God's will be, if this is your will, Lord? This is a common prayer, a common disclaimer we add to our prayers. I want you to be focused on it and say, should I be praying this in this moment? And then the next one, I would ask you to ask yourself whether or not you operate, whether or not you have the tendency to operate in fake humility. Well, thy will be done, Lord. Thy will be done. I just want your will. Or false spirituality. You're just pointing at things, acting like you're going to make things change. I want you to ask that question. It's kind of tough stuff. So next week, what we're going to do is we're going to return to David's list, and we're going to ask that question, is this the A pattern or is this the B pattern? And I believe that I've shown you the evidence in the Scripture uh, that both of these patterns exist. I want to hear from you this week, though. 
I want to hear what you're, what you're wrestling with. I want to hear your struggles in prayer. I want to hear what you view to be a pattern prayers and what you view to be the pattern prayers. I'd love to hear from you. So you can always email me, Nathan at NathanFrankHauser.com. Pretty simple, right? Except for that last name. Thanks, Dad. Anyway, so Nathan at Nathan, no problem. <laughs> Nathan, he, he literally was like, I did nothing. I gave it to you. You're, here's your name. You know I could, sp- I could use the whole alphabet in first grade, right? Because three quarters of it's in my name. And so I, I only had a couple of letters to remember. Anyway, so how many of you would say, show of hands as we wrap this up today, how many of you would say that you, you struggle with prayer? You struggle with prayer. How many find this kind of analysis of prayer helpful? Okay. I think we all want to grow in it. I think we all see it and we go, okay, Lord, help me. Here, here's my last thing. We have to go to God's word for the answers. It doesn't matter the way you were brought up. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter your opinion of prayer. It doesn't matter your opinion of God, right? What we have to do is go back to the word of God and we have to put our trust in, here's what we see, I want to walk this way. This, this really is to walk in absolute faith. God said it, I'm just going to do that. Yeah, you're going to look like a crazy person to the rest of the world, right? I already do. Anyway, so you look like a crazy person, but you, you have to walk in it. And you say, God said it, I'm going to do it. That's what I'm going to do today. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.